And uh, to those of us who are worshipping through LifeGate Outreach TV, listening to the message, or through the audio podcasts on iTunes, I want to say welcome as well. And may God continue to bless you right where you are, uh, continually in Jesus' name. I always say thank you for the messages you send from time to time because they do inspire us to hear that God is touching you where you are, even through these uh, messages. May God continue to honor his word in every one of our lives. In the name of Jesus. We have been on a series on empowered to be witnesses by divine help for some time. Uh, I believe this should be the fourth week now. And um, God has been speaking to us in diverse ways from the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We have been looking, I believe our banner is ready today. We have been looking at uh, different themes from the different chapters. God opened my eyes to see how we can split the 28 chapters of the book of Acts into chunks of four, three, two to four chapters each with a theme. And like I've said over and over, this is just a revelation for this point in time. I believe we could do this series again sometime and have different themes, different combinations and so on. But the Lord opened my eyes to see how the first four chapters of the book of Acts was themed much more on the unity in the church and how they were empowered to move forward from there. God told them to go. Jesus told them to go and tarry in Jerusalem. They went in one accord. The Holy Spirit came. And we know that the demonstration of power from that point became evident that a new church was born. Very, very empowered. Hallelujah. And uh, we looked at the theme of strategic performance in Acts chapter 5 to verse chapter 8, where we saw that in Acts chapter 5, it was obvious that God had brought them together and the devil was trying to bring in the element of sin in the persons of, through the persons of Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And we saw how quickly and clinically the Holy Spirit dealt with that and removed that seed of the enemy very, very quickly and fiercely. And we saw that they began to perform very strategically. In Acts chapter 6, they, they, they were given the wisdom to administer to a section of the church that was becoming disgruntled. And I said the wisdom for administration was manifested at that point where we saw that they could actually solve a problem by simply appointing the right people to take care of the problem. But the people they appointed did not just stop at serving tables. We saw the likes of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 becoming, uh, delivering one of the greatest messages ever delivered by a human being which basically went through the entire history of the children of Israel and how they got to where they were and what God was expecting of them as a people to respond to this new move of the offer of his son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we saw that Stephen's message was so powerful, but another very interesting thing happened. One of those deacons, we saw him manifest very strongly after the church was scattered in Acts chapter 8 in the person of Philip. And Philip's life was definitely clearly evident as one that God was sending out of Jerusalem to manifest in a very unique way. So strategic performance was there. Philip was used to minister the Ethiopian eunuch, which we believe from church history is the first major convert, truly total convert, that was um, sent to sub-Saharan Africa and the other regions of the world as the word spread later on. And then last week we looked at the theme called to serve, where we looked at Acts chapter 10, uh, 9, Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12. Acts chapter 9 was, we looked at the conversion of Saul, one of the most dramatic conversions ever recorded in history, in the history of mankind. Jesus Christ himself coming to stop a man who was going about a mission that was self-commissioned and was doing harm and havoc to the church. And God in his infinite mercies and wisdom stopped this man who was going to a city called Damascus to go and persecute the Christians 
And God made sure, Jesus made sure that his conversion was not just going to be uh, instant, but that his ministry was actually going to start from the very same city he was going to kill Christians. And I say at times God does have a very interesting sense of humor in a way because it is funny. The pl- same place he planned to go to kill Christians was going to be the same launch pad for his ministry. Isn't God a good God? And Saul began, and then we began to see the move of God. Peter came back on the scene in Acts chapter 9, and Acts, Acts chapter, late Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 11. For the first time, Peter also got a calling to serve in a different way. Peter was obviously used of God to bring about the birth of the new church. And we know that very clearly. But at that point, Peter was not yet delivered from the mentality that the church was not just about the Jews. And God had to use the life of a man called Cornelius who had been touched of God and uh, was uh, now to be used, uh, to, was, now to, was now for God to use Peter's life to minister the Holy Spirit to him. So there is so much to learn from there. And of course, Acts chapter 12, the same Peter was about to be killed by Herod because Herod killed James and he was happy. He saw that the Jews were happy about it. And uh, we got to the point where we saw how the church prayed. Somebody said the church prayed. And the emphasis on that was the fact that we must understand that when we are called to serve, we must have the church backing us up. We must have the church. We'll see it again in in, in, in another section of the scriptures today. But it is so important that the church must understand that we are one entity meant to be praying for one another. You are meant to be praying for my ministry. I'm meant to be praying for your ministry, your assignment. When we all go out, we're meant to be praying for each other. This is what it means. And when we pray like that, we allow every plan of Herod. And I said Herod is anything trying to kill your ministry, anything trying to truncate your ministry. I said prison was not the end of the intention of Herod. If you read Acts chapter 12, the Bible says he was intending after the Passover to kill Peter. He was intending to behead him like he did to James, one of the other apostles. But the reality of the matter is that the church prayer helped Peter to be released as the intercession brought down the manifestation of an angel that opened the prison doors and we know the rest of the story. So please and please, I've gone through Acts chapter 1 to 12 in a jiffy, but there is so much into it. If you had to take time to read it very well, you wouldn't do it in five minutes, I'm sure. You would take more than an hour or two to actually read these chapters and soak it in. So, but do read them. All the messages to date are online. Uh, so please find them. LiveGate Outreach TV is a YouTube channel. It's very easy to locate. You can find the messages there. And if you go to iTunes, you can also find us on LiveGate Outreach Center um, on all platforms, Android and iOS. May God continue to bless you in Jesus' name. And so today, we are looking at the very fourth theme, which is called to greater works, separated for greater works, which we just greater works on our banner and this will be looking at Acts chapter 13 chapter 14 and chapter 15 but before we go into those chapters I'd like us to echo together our key scripture in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 let's read it together Acts chapter 1 verse 8 everybody want to go but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea and in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So this is the mandate. Amen, Daniela. This is the mandate. This is the mandate. And you shall receive power. What is it for? It shall be for you and I to be what? Witnesses to me 
to him in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the end of the earth. So this is what it is. And I said over and over, this is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is a call to serve, to be witnesses. It's not a call to just go to heaven. If it was a call to go to heaven, the day we got born again, we'll be zapped. We've all heard that before, I'm sure. We'll be zapped into heaven. That would have been the principle. You get born again, you're gone. You get born again, you're gone. You're born again, everybody would have been zapped like that. So, but because it is not the intention that we get born again and get translated to heaven immediately, the intention is that we must continue to receive that same power of the Holy Spirit and continue to be witnesses in Jerusalem, wherever your own Jerusalem is, wherever you start from, wherever you are based, is your Jerusalem. And then all Judea and Samaria and as far as God can send you. And this is how we, we take the word of God and we act in that way. Now, today we are looking at Acts chapter 13 to, verse, uh, to chapter 15. And the, the Bible begins to expose to us, after everything you heard, I summarized Acts 1 to 12, a greater order of performance, which I just think greater works. Because we started to see some things in the operation of the church like never before. Nothing that we have seen. And this simply means that if we also have this understanding, there is a realm of greater works that God wants us to press into as people who are called of God. Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 12, said something about greater works. The Bible says, let's read John chapter 14, verse 12, together. Let's go now. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. That is the greater works than these ones you see me do. He said he will do, because what? I go to my Father. Verse 13 says, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Let's read verse 14 together. If you ask anything in my name, who will do it? I will do it. So he's telling you and I that we're going to do greater works, but it will still be in his name. We're going to do greater works, but it is still by him. So that we don't get it wrong. Greater works does not mean that we will become greater than Jesus. It doesn't mean that we will do things that Jesus never did, in quote. But he's saying that the influence that you are going to have as a church, I was one man, but you are going to be billions of you who will be my body, the body of Christ, who will do greater by way of impact and spread. Jesus operated Roundabout, Jerusalem, Galilee, Nazareth, Bethlehem, those places that were very local to the nation of Israel. But here we are now operating on all the continents of the world. But when he was actually speaking these words directly to the disciples who were with him, we saw them in the book of Acts go outside Jerusalem and going on to Greek towns like Antioch and going on to places like Pamphylia, going on to places like Seleucia, Syria, places that the word had not reached in the time of Jesus as it were. So when Jesus said that we shall do these greater works, he's saying that you and I, he knew, he saw a day like this when we will be equipping one another to do the work here in, West, in, in Warsaw, in the West Midlands, in, in the United Kingdom. He knows he saw a day like this and in those words still resonate for us today to understand that we are bound to do those greater works and may the lord continue to empower us to do just that in the name of jesus 
So the power for greater work was very evident as we study these three books of the Bible, particularly as we look more critically in the ministry of Apostle Paul. You all know by now, and if you don't, you should know that my greatest hero in Scripture after Jesus Christ is King David. I love King David so much, and I'm so grateful to God. I pray for my father and mother every day for naming me after that great man of God. I love King David so much. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was such a lover of God and a man of great impact. But the more I studied the life of Apostle Paul, the more I understood that this character was a different man in a different league. Apostle Paul was no ordinary man. He was a man who was always passionate about what he did, whether it was right or wrong. When he was persecuting the Christians, he, he didn't hold back. He, the Bible says he went and collected letters by himself in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. They didn't call him to say, Paul, do you need letters to go anywhere? He went there and said, give me letters. I want to go and persecute Christians. That was who he was. When God converted him and Jesus met him, the same passion, the same zeal, the same drive, we saw this man bring into the work of the ministry. And I want us to learn a thing or two from there, that whatever God has put in your life that the devil has been trying to use so negatively, you must understand that it is not for the devil to use negatively, but for you to surrender to God so that God can use to help you to make greater impact in your own life and ministry. And may God continue to help us to do that in the name of Jesus. So I want to quickly theme Acts chapter 13, 14, and 15 in very short themes that can help us to see how to operate the power for these greater works. The first one is in Acts chapter 13. Please write down, we must operate the power by divine selection. The power by divine selection. There was something that was written in Acts chapter 13 that caught my attention before I themed this. This is to allow the Holy Spirit to commission every one of our ministerial assignments. First, as Christians, we are all commissioned to be witnesses. But we must understand that in the body of Christ, we are individually, specifically commissioned to do different things. Either in the ministry in the body or the ministry without. Wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you are sent to, wherever you are working, however you are operating, you are called by the Holy Spirit and empowered to do certain things that will help you to be a witness there. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 13, let's read from Acts chapter 13 verse 2. The Bible says the disciples, the apostles were gathered together, the teachers and prophets in, in Antioch, they were gathered together. But in Acts chapter 13 verse 2, let's read together. The Bible says, as they ministered to the Lord and did what? Fasted, the Holy Spirit said, let's read that verse again, that line, those two lines again. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, please read it one more time. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now continue. Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. I was so attracted to the fact that the people were ministering, but the Holy Spirit was speaking. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit commissioned, and he said, separate to me, separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Now we see a different order of calling here. In Acts chapter 2, they prayed, the Holy Spirit came down, they spoke with tongues, it manifested through them. In Acts chapter 4, they prayed, the Holy Spirit came down and manifested and so on. But you see, for the first time, we see a situation where the Holy Spirit came and specifically, 
specifically said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul. And I want us to know the importance of this. As Christians and as people who have one calling or the other upon our lives, the separation unto the Holy Spirit is to enable us to do greater works, enable us to have the impact we could not have had in our own strength, in our own natural abilities, because we are separated unto him. He said, you separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then verse 3, the Bible says, then having fasted and prayed, verse 3, and having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they did what? They sent them away. Verse 4, so being sent out by who? The Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Why am I making this emphasis? There are a lot of people who do not understand that you cannot commission yourself into any form of ministry whatsoever. And I'm not talking about this pulpit ministry or pulpit ministry. I'm talking about any assignment that you will seek to do for God in life. You cannot commit, you cannot commission yourself without the commissioning of the Holy Spirit. You must let the Holy Spirit be the initiator. If you are now, don't get me wrong, you don't wait for the Holy Spirit to tell you to become a Christian. You surrender your life to become a Christian by choice. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith, you must have faith that you lay aside to become a Christian. But from that point, you must be somebody who hears clearly for the Holy Spirit if you want to have a successful ministry, whatever that ministry may be. Whether it's working in a school, working in a bank, working in a factory, working in a hospital, whatever it is, preaching in a church, preaching on the streets. If it is a ministry that is to be unique, you must allow yourself to be sent by the Holy Spirit. It is what will give you the base and give you the strength, the stamina, the energy, the wisdom, everything that you need in order to be able to lead a successful ministry. Let's go to verse 6. We have read this, so I'm going to be skipping over the verses. We have read it in the Bible reading. For those listening to the audio and the videos, we read in our Bible reading Acts chapter 13 from verse 1 to verse 14. And then we read Acts chapter, uh, 20 from verse, Acts chapter 14 from verse 1 to 20. Just so that you can see some of the areas we are focusing on. The Bible says in verse 6, Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a who? A sorcerer, a false prophet. A Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. We know later on that that name was also interpreted as Elimas. Now, this guy was not willing to be saved. This guy was simply being used of the devil to stop the proconsul who invited Saul and Barnabas to the place where they could be they could reason with him the word of God, and he was willing to be saved. The proconsul, the general, was willing to be saved. But this guy, by Jesus, was sent by the devil to withstand the message of Paul and Barnabas. And the Bible says in verse 9, I'm just keeping the verses. The Bible says, then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 9, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently, verse 10, and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And then he began to decree against the opposition, verse 11. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind. 
Of course, Paul knows what blindness is. He himself went through it. He knows that when you are blind, you are completely helpless. But you see, Paul was merciful. He said, you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for what? For a time, for a season. I need to do my work here, so I need to put you where you belong to incapacitate you. He said, you shall be blind for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Hallelujah. And then let's read verse 12 together and see what God did. Verse 12. As soon as all this happened to Elimas, what happened? Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. May you have results in your ministry. May you have results in your life. May you have results in all your calling. In the name of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit commissions you, what this means to us and translates to us generally is that every time you are going by the commission of the Holy Spirit where you are, God will be revealing to you the things that are hindering you. At times, they are not people. As a matter of fact, even when they are people, they are only people who are being used of the devil. The devil is behind everything that wants to seek to stop you from manifesting your ministry, your calling, whatever that is. Even the things that you do in business to thrive and to, to survive in life, your career, the things that the enemy will do to try to oppose you are operating the same, by the same spirit that was operate, operating in Elimas. In the case of Elimas, his job was to stop the word from being believed by the proconsul. And thank God for Paul who recognized that instantly and rebuked the devil. Why am I saying this? Friends, you must understand that the call to be witnesses is a call to warfare. It's not a call to funfair. It is a call. The call to Christianity is a call to constant worrying against limiting and opposing forces. You must know how to open your mouth and decree against the things that the devil is using part time to try to frustrate you. You must know how to open your mouth and decree against the things that Satan is trying to use to limit you. As the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see those things, you must continue. Never forget, and I beg of you, never forget that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Many times the devil will make you feel it's your boss, it's your colleague at work, it's your spouse, I may say at times. He could make you see it's anybody, but let me tell you the truth. It is never a human being, it is always the devil. Hallelujah. And whatever you do, make sure you keep rebuking the enemy so that the proconsul that should believe, the results you should have, the impact you should make will continually be rebuked. And the Lord will, will continually be enjoyed in the name of Jesus. The Lord will rebuke every opposition against your results in the name of Jesus. This was the first thing I saw that when these men were separated by the Holy Spirit, they became men of power in an order we had never seen before now. And towards the end of the book of uh, Acts chapter 13, we saw another scenario where they were trying to dispute against Paul and Barnabas. We know that in, in, in chapter 13, in chapter 13 from verse 13 to 41, Saul was invited into the, uh, we will use his name Saul and Paul interchangeably, we're talking about the same person. He was invited into the synagogue to, to, to minister and then he, he taught them. And I found that Paul's message went a little bit deeper. We have read in Acts chapter 2, Paul, Peter preached. Acts 3, Acts 4, Peter preached very powerfully. Acts chapter 7, Stephen preached. 
very powerfully. But the preaching of Paul in Acts chapter 13, I would like you to read. We don't have time now, but read it from verse 13 to verse 41. And see how God used this man to open the scriptures to make them see how the redemption plan was put together. But in verse 42, when people were trying to reason with what Paul was saying, of course, Jewish opposition arose. Let's read verse 42 together. Acts chapter 13, verse 42. Okay, sorry. Acts chapter 13, verse 49. You've got verse 49. That's right. Acts 14, 49. Go on, please. Let's read together. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the region. Verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women from the ch and the chief men of the city, raised up what? Persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and did what? Expelled them from their region. Now, I want you to understand, and then they did what? L let's go to verse 51, verse 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them, and did what? Came to Iconium. Verse 52. And the disciples were what? Filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Never let whatever the devil is trying to do to discourage you per time be strong enough to dissuade you. Jesus, the Bible says, when these people were rejected, they shook off the dust of the feet of the town and left the place and went to another place called Iconium. The lesson for us as Christians in this case is for us to understand that your message, your life, your ministry, your business, your, your, your offerings may not be acceptable every time, everywhere. Don't think something is wrong with you. Now, we're talking Barnabas and Paul here. The new move of the Holy Spirit. Empowered by God himself. Empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. And yet, a town said they didn't want him. And they put them out of the region. The example they laid to us there is to, for us to understand that as we go on this journey of ministry, we will be encountering times of opposition. We'll be encountering times of rejection. You must understand, you must know how to handle rejection and opposition. It is part and parcel of the package. <laughs> if you are not, you will get discouraged. Not once did we hear that Barnabas and Paul went back, hung their heads and said, Oh, God must have left us. Something must be wrong. We must have lost the power. We must have lost the favor. We must have lost the grace. But this is what believers in our time do. You hit a small opposition and they begin to think it is something to do with them. Now, it could be. But many times, and I tell you many, many times, it's nothing to do with you. It is simply how God has allowed you to minister. And there are places that no matter what you do, there are people that you, no matter what you do, they will never like you. They will never, ever want you. You have to realize this. When we function like this, it helps us to be holistic with the message. But the devil uses these things to, to make us discouraged. You put up something on social media and then you got five likes. And you feel, oh, the whole world is against you. After everybody is getting 500 and 1,000. It doesn't matter. If you had no like or two likes, it doesn't matter. What is important is that God likes it. Hallelujah. <laughs> if God likes what you have put up, that is good enough for you. Hallelujah. Don't let the world be your standard. Let the Holy Spirit that is commissioning you be your standard. As long as he is engracing you to be in a place, doing what you are doing, then you must know that it is good for you to keep going. 
The Bible says, despite all that, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they had power because they had divine separation. May God continue to help us to walk in this power. In the name of Jesus. I humbly submit to you, friends, this is the secret. If I can say I have any secret, this is the secret of my own life and ministry. The assurance that God commissioned me, the assurance that God is with me, and the assurance that God is asking me to go on. It empowers you and refuels you on a daily basis. You struggle with the things of the world and the challenges it brings, but as you meditate and focus on those powers, you see yourself gliding on, on that power of the Holy Spirit. You see yourself gliding over those devices and tricks of the enemy to keep you in a place of bondage. May God continue to help you to advance. In the name of Jesus. Don't stay in your profession and keep thinking that something is wrong with you. You have an enemy that doesn't want you to survive. He doesn't want you to excel. He doesn't want you to lead. He doesn't want you to have influence. Because the more influence you have in any area of calling of life, the more you can reach the, the proconsuls and the government and the powers that be and the influential people, the more you can reach them. So why do you think the enemy will not be trying to discourage you from making progress and getting promoted? Never be dissuaded by those things. Stay by the power of the Holy Spirit to your call and watch God give you victory in Jesus' name. So the first thing is that they had power by divine selection. The next thing is that they had power over idolatry. Power over idolatry. This is so important. Many of us might immediately feel, oh, I don't do anything uh, as a, uh, idolatry or anything idolatrous. But the reality of the matter is that there are so much forms of idolatry in our day and age. We have to keep refusing every form of idolatry, whether luring us to bow to idols or to become the idols. We have to reject every attempt of Satan to make us into idols or to make us bow to idols. Many of us talk about not bowing to idols, but we don't know that he also subtly tries to make us into idols, like we saw in the case of these apostles in Acts chapter 14, which is the next theme, Acts chapter 14. The Bible says they came to Lystra, and uh, in, in this place, they came to Iconium first, and then they saw a man who was lame from birth, and this man was not able to walk, but Paul saw his faith, and he said to him, rise up and walk. And this was at a higher order of ministry. When a lame man was, saw in, was seen rather in Acts chapter 3 by Peter, Peter engaged that man and was having a fairly longer conversation and said, look on us, such as I have, I give to you and so on. Now we know it's the same result, the man got up to walk, but with the commission of the Holy Spirit, we see God take the ministry to another level whereby Paul could see faith. The Bible says he saw that that man had faith to be healed without any questioning, without any provoking whatsoever. And this is a gift that we must operate by the Holy Spirit. But the man began to, to walk. And in verse 11, Acts chapter 14, verse 11, the Bible says now when the people saw, that Paul, what, saw what Paul had done. Can I have Acts chapter 14, verse 11? When the people saw what God, what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying, Who is manning this? Acts chapter 14, verse 11. 
they raised their voices saying, what? The, in Lyconian language, thank you, the gods have come down to us, what? In the likeness of men. Can you imagine that? Because they saw the miracles in the hands of Paul and Barnabas. And uh, verse 12, Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes for, because he was what? The chief speaker. Now, these two names are names of, in Greek mythology, names of gods. They are gods with a small g. Zeus was known as the supreme god. The one that, in their own understanding, was the greatest god. Hermes apparently is the son of Zeus in that order. But Hermes was the god with the oratory skills. Was the god that was the god of merchandise. The god that had, if you like, the wisdom of business. That gave them the wisdom for business. So they immediately said, oh, this must be Zeus. And this must be Hermes. Obviously, maybe because Barnabas looked a bit more mature, looked a bit older. I don't know. They felt that he should be Zeus. But obviously, the Bible says Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. They, 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 their God called Hermes in Greek mythology that they worshipped was a God they believed was always speaking to them and telling them what to do, particularly about things of business and things of life. So they immediately felt what had happened is that these gods have now come down to them in the form of men. You can't blame them because that's all they knew. But verse 14, the Bible says, When Apostle Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among them, crying out, verse 15, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And I want you to know that what Paul and Barnabas are teaching us here is that we must refuse vehemently any attempt to idolize us. Now, we may not be idolized this blatantly and this openly like we saw in the case of Barnabas and Paul. We may not be given names of some kind of God somewhere. But when people that you are witnessing to and people whom God is using your life to impact in one way or the other are seeing you as the be-all and all, then you must let them know that your work is pointing them to God. The work of every preacher and every pastor is to point the people of God to God. It is never to allow the buck to stop with them. Many of us have not taken this as serious as we can because people find it very easy to idolize, consciously or unconsciously. And it is natural because people don't see God. But people see people. So when they see a person that is being used, you have prayed for them once, they were healed, you have helped them with certain things of life, and then they begin to come to you and talk to you, and you need to listen to those conversations. If they are giving you the impression that they are virtually worshipping you or giving you the credit, then you must quickly point them to God. One of our brothers sat down in my office a few weeks ago, and he said, Pastor, you know, I must say in my four years in this church, God has really blessed me. He said, God has really blessed me. And I, I have no doubt about it. God has really blessed me here. These were his own words. And I said, oh, we thank God. And he said, and I thank you for that. I quickly said, no, we all thank God. 
<laughs> we all thank God. I don't let those kind of statements stay one second later because I don't want to be like Herod in Acts chapter 12. The Bible says as he was speaking, people said this must be the voice of a God. Herod said, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> say more, say more. <laughs> and we know what happened to Herod. So I don't want to be smitten and, and eaten up by worms because God does not like anyone to take his place. Paul and Barnabas knew that if they did not tear their clothes and make this public demonstration and refer people back to the God who was doing the miracles, they would have become idols and that would have been the end of their ministry right there in Lystra. We must be careful. We must have power over idolatry. Friends, some of you may be looking and saying, but Pastor Davis, this is not too serious. Will people ever do that? You just get effective in ministry and watch it's just a matter of time. People begin to see you. At times, very unconsciously. Many times, very unconsciously. We must know how to keep rejecting it. May God continue to help us in Jesus' name. The Bible says in verse 19, The Jews again from Antioch and Econom came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, and they thought he was dead. Because God helped Paul to resist this idolatrous trend god now kept him from being destroyed the bible says they thought he was dead however let's go to the next verse however when the disciples gathered around him yes thank you he rose up and went into the city and the next day he departed hallelujah paul was stoned just the same way stephen was stoned but what i like you to learn about this is that paul knew his time was not up just yet so unlike Stephen who looked up and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing, virtually calling him home, and said, into your hands I commit my spirit, hold this thing not against them. Unlike Stephen who did that, Paul did not give up. Maybe this is now my own uh, slant to it. It's not written like that in the Bible. <laughs> Maybe when Paul looked up to heaven, Jesus was sat down and said, you have not yet finished. <laughs> So Paul refused to say anything about leaving this earth. And the Bible says the disciples gathered around him. I believe that was intercession. The same way, like I said, they prayed for Peter in prison. I believe that the disciples gathered around him. Friends, what do we do in our day and age? Don't forget it was Paul and Barnabas. Why was Barnabas not stoned? Wouldn't our day and age, wouldn't there be judgment passed to Paul as being somebody with the devil? Some people who gather there will even say, he must have been having a devil. That's why God allowed them to stone him. Look at Brother Barnabas. They didn't touch him. Wouldn't we be trying to cast aspersions and throwing blames because one of our brothers has been struck? But the Bible says these people gathered around him. The church today must understand that working together is not an option. Working together is compulsory. Believing by faith together will help us to achieve the mission of being empowered witnesses as God ordained. May the Lord continue to help us in the name of Jesus. The Bible says the disciples gathered around him. The disciples did not go all over the place and saying, do you know what happened to Paul? Ooh, he was told he's almost dead. Really? He's almost dead. Let us pray. Let us pray. And they won't pray anything. They're just, it's just a gossip. It's just a talk. They say, man, you needed to see it. They stoned him. In fact, he's likely to be dead by now. <laughs> this is what you will hear in our day and age. Unfortunately, the disciples went there. They said, this is one of ours. 
he's been stoned again. Maybe because he was the chief speaker, but somehow they singled him out to stone him. And uh, we know very well that Barnabas had a very unique ministry. Right from the Acts chapter 3, we saw Acts chapter 1 actually, we saw Barnabas, but then Acts chapter 3, we started to see a manifestation of Barnabas that was very unique. Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement. And everywhere he was, he was able to always bring the balance. The church of God today needs Barnabases. We need people who will always believe that there is a way forward, who will always bring that balance, who will not be judgmental. May God continue to help us to raise more Barnabases in the body. In the name of Jesus. Let us go finally to the last point. You can read 2 Corinthians chapter 6 on your own, verse 16 to 17. It says we must not be having anything to do with idols. The last point is that they had power over doctrinal and personal conflicts. As we grow in the body of Christ, we must understand that it has been part and parcel of the church to have doctrinal differences. When we let doctrinal differences tear us apart and cause us to fight and cause us to throw things at each other and go to social media and tear each other down, we are missing the point, or go to even print media to throw each other down. We are missing the point. Doctrinal differences are meant to help us get deeper in understanding what God has done. They are not allowed by God to come and splinter us or break us up. They are allowed by God to help us to dig deeper. Somebody say dig deeper. And understand the wider context of what the word of God is saying. Because of our time, we won't read the book of Acts chapter 15. But please read Acts chapter 15. The story was that there were people from Judea who came down and said all the Gentile converts must be circumcised. That if not, they can't be saved. And God used, can we, just, can we take care of the children? Take care of the children as much as we can. Just a few more minutes. God bless you. So in Acts chapter 15, they came down and they circumcised them. The Bible says, according to the custom of Moses, they said they must be circumcised. Otherwise, they cannot be saved. And Paul and Barnabas were trying to help them to see, but there was a big dissension. And when that dissension came, what happened was that this... Brethren felt, we cannot handle this, let us go to Jerusalem. The apostles, the Peter and the other apostles were resident in Jerusalem and that was where the church was always uh, managed or administered from, centrally. So when they went to Jerusalem, Peter gave them some guidance that you all know that I preached to Gentiles recently. Barnabas and Saul gave the testimonies of what has been happening with the Gentile nations. But James spoke something that I want us to remember in Acts chapter 15 verse 18. He said, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, Acts 15, 19, he said, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those among, from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. Verse 20, let's read to, verse 20 together, one, two, go. But that we write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the things strangled and from blood. Four things was now going to become the standard doctrine. And all these four things point to things that people are doing that are idolatrous. That was making them serve in idolatry. He said they must abstain from things or food that have been offered to idols. Sexual immorality was part of idol worship in Jewish times. You remember when the golden calf was created in the wilderness... And the Bible says the people rose up to play. It was all about sexual immorality as a sacrifice to that God that they made in the form of the golden calf. 
And he said they must also, even things that were strangled also were used to sacrifice to idols in their time. And from blood. The blood because there was only going to be one blood that would become essential and irrelevant. The blood of Jesus that was shed. So this became the new doctrine so that the, the, the disciples who were gentle and were very used to idol worship will not be going on in some form of idol worship unconsciously. And verse 30 of Acts 15 says, So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. And verse 31 says, When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. The Gentiles around us will keep rejoicing. I said they will keep rejoicing. The light of the gospel that we bring to them will cause them to have the same encounters we have. And there will be joy all around. In the name of Jesus. And the last few verses there from verse 36 right through to verse 41, the Bible says that there was a time Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and see all our brethren in every city where we have preached. And Barnabas wanted them to take a man called Mark. And I'm going to close on this. He wanted them to take a man called John Mark. But Paul insisted, verse 38, can I have that up, 1538? Paul insisted that they should not take with him the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39. Then contention became so sharp that they departed, that they parted from one another. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the one who always believes in the positive about everybody, took that same John Mark and then sailed to Cyprus. And then, of course, Paul, by God's divine arrangement, took Silas and departed. And they were all commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Why am I saying this? I want us to know that sharp disputings, disagreements, and things of differences in opinions have always been part of the church. The body of Christ today is so weak that every kind of discussion that should be had in maturity about differences in opinion are taken so flippantly and have been used as occasion to rip churches apart and cause undue and unnecessary havoc. We must be like the apostles of old, who were able to settle amicably, reason amicably, and use and leverage the offices of a man like Barnabas, who knew how to see the good in everybody and bring about a balance. We need it in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. If you read your Bible very well, write down 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. The same John Mark that Paul did not want to have anything to do with. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said to him, he said, Luke is here with me. He said, but you bring John Mark because he has been very helpful to me in ministry. The same Paul who did not want anything to do, but after being discipled properly by Barnabas, being taught about discipline, how not to run away again the next time, how to make sure that you stay total, stay faithful, stay loyal, became very useful to Paul. I want you and I to understand that in the body of Christ, we must open ourselves to criticism. We must open ourselves to genuine conversations, what I call hard conversations. We will not always see things the same way at the same time. It's no problem. It's no issue. But what is causing the biggest problem in the body of Christ today is that when there is a difference in opinion and difference in ideology for whatever reason, people do not even have the tenacity of purpose and the drive and the patience to engage in wholesome discussions that should help us achieve this one body, one faith, one hope. But then they tear up and go off and carry it on 
and it becomes a problem in the body of Christ. These are cancers that we have to deal with. These are the devices of the enemy to make us weak as the body of Christ. May God continue to help us to stand for him. I say may God continue to help us to stand for him. My God will cause your, your ministry to continually be announced by the Holy Spirit. Whatever calling is upon your life, my God will help you to find it announced by the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, you will have power over every form of idolatry. In the name of Jesus, you will have power over every limiting force and everything trying to oppose you and cause you to be stunted in your movement in serving God. In the name of Jesus, rise to your feet and let us begin to commit these words to God's hands.